Okay, it's a big moment for me because it's the first time in about three weeks that I remember to hit the record button when I started a podcast. Um, I'm with Andrew Cole, head coach of the Australian under-18 national team, uh, probably better known as manager for the Perth Heat. And uh, welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Now, we're in the depth of winter. We've experienced some of the worst weather in biblical downpours in Western Australia. What what are your high-performance programs in WA specifically, but around Australia, what are they, what would they be doing right now? Yeah, it's a little up and down, uh, depending on the state, obviously, with Sydney in lockdown and uh, Melbourne back in lockdown as well. Um, they're probably doing some remote stuff individually, uh, but we're fortunate. We're still getting on the field. We've got indoor cages. Um, our biggest thing over the winter is is building faster, stronger athletes. So the boys are in the, in the gym three times a week, uh, prior to practice or after practice. And then um, we're into our second block of training. So we finished a 10-week block uh, last, last term. A little bit of a break, and um, now we're bang in the middle of our, our second block. So I guess the thing that we were talking off off air, the piece that is, you know, the, the last ABL season was truncated with um, with COVID, with the New Zealand team just dropped out of the competition for the year. Yep. You guys split the country up, and it was sort of divisions and limited travel. It looked like everything was going to be back to normal, and then all of a sudden everything flares up again. What's your sense on... You know, a bit of an early scoop on what do you think is going to happen here? Yeah, I think hopefully we're better prepared this year. Obviously, last year we went into some um, some hubs and things like that. I think behind the scenes, I'll be looking at some plan Bs and Cs with some hub play and things like that, hopefully, um, with the experience of what happened last year. At the moment, all I know at the moment, we're, we're planning on going about the ni- uh, November the 14th for a 10-week season. Um, so that's the expectation. But I think we all know in the back of our heads that you know, there's going to be some interruptions and we're going to have to adapt once again. So the so then this would throw – there's added complications around bringing imports in, obviously, which is – yeah, it is kind of the lifeblood of the league. It's bringing prospects in. They obviously lifted the calibre of the competition. Um, question from someone completely unawares, who footed the bill on the quarantine and stuff like that? Was that the each franchise? Um, yeah, I think some of it was pulled together and there was some uh, emergency funds through, uh, through Baseball Australia. Um, but I think most of it was, was pulled together through and some of the broadcast deals, hopefully, from, um, from Queensland and Adelaide. So that was some of the reasons why we went into those hubs was because they had um, pretty good broadcast deals put in place. And, and the heat are linked to the Rays, Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> you know, how did they feel about jamming guys into 14-day lockdowns. Was that something they'd do again, do you think? Um, they were pretty good about it. They had some concerns, obviously, uh, especially with the arms. The arms is the biggest issue of not being able to throw properly. So, you know, we, we did some things around that. They had ply balls. We put up mattresses. They threw in mattresses and just to keep the body moving and going. But uh, obviously there is some concerns around the arm care. Um, position players, not so bad. They can move a little bit around there and um, they can get back on field and get prepared pretty quickly. But... I think that is the biggest concern. Um, the guys are pretty good about it. Um, once they got out of it, they saw, got back on the field, they, they were all good. But a lot of them said, you know, halfway point of it, they were like, oh, what are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. You know, they were, they were a bit um, cooped up and not sure, never been to a show, not sure what to expect. So it, it is a tough time. Caged animals. Yeah. Um, so the other thing in sort of planning on how we're going to work with you one of the things that was pretty cool was your role with the Australian under-18 national team. And uh, there was a camp coming up in September 
which was sort of an invitation tryout. The, the team is selected from that. So I want to talk about that in a second. But I guess you're in scramble mode about how that's going to work now. What's the, what's happening there? Yeah, a little bit. We're all all kind of set. You know, it's planned for I think the 25th of um, September through the 3rd of October. Um, there's been some a few minor changes to that, which you know we'll kind of map out moving forward. But yeah, we're planning on having the 40 top kids come into camp and change a little bit. Obviously, not going to the world championship now. Um, we'll change our scope a little bit. Um, might become a little bit more of a showcase. Try and get some ABL teams, coaches, um, scouts to that environment to really um, profile the top 40 kids in the country. Um, play a bunch of games hopefully maybe um, bring in an under 23 Australian team or some guys that want to be seen a little bit more and raise the competition a bit so the 40 kids that are coming along to that camp is that where did you get that where are they from is that from last year's national tournament or is that how did how did this all come together so the initial 60 six that we uh, picked 60 kids from the showcases so in January we didn't have the national um, junior competition for the for the national program so each state ran their own showcase which we did so and from those showcase we picked the top kids with tools playing ability etc um, each state put through a bunch of names and we brought the top 60 kids to a camp in Easter so we mapped out that got a bunch of data on them played a bunch of games and then we kind of picked the top 35, 30, I think we picked about 30 kids from that, but during April, Queensland couldn't come down to the camp. So unfortunately, those kids didn't get the opportunity. So we're just including those Queensland kids in this next phase. So they still get the um, the required um, opportunity to, to make that team. And so in a perfect world, what would that week look like? Like what is what goes into an event like this to then get the effectively a, a team at the end of it but what does that week look like yeah there'll be a, an introduction so we'll just discuss the expectations we'll have a probably a showcase day so probably get their um, running speeds arm speeds throwing across a diamond video of the boys taking bp um, get some of that profile content together then we'll start straight into games probably so probably depending on the total number of teams we get into camp whether we have two teams or we can get in another team in there and have a three-team competition um, break that up and play single or double headers um, every day mm. um, probably have some stuff on the side pitchers will do extra stuff on backfields guys that aren't playing will get extra work on the backfield um, get on rapsido all the pitchers on rapsido all the hitters on rapsido yep um and are you, so do you name a team out of this? We are, yeah. yeah. You know, th these guys have earned the opportunity to kind of make the team and still re be represented and, and give that a um, give that a value. Mm. And is there, is there an international tournament this year that we're just choosing not to go to or did they scrap the whole thing? Yeah, correct. Uh, the uh, World Champs still going ahead. It's at Pirate City, I think, uh, Florida yep. um, in end of September. So we were we were all in, and then it just became too complicated with COVID, the restrictions, the costing, the quarantine, all that put together. It was just going to be um, just not worth it. Well, and Florida's done such a good job of managing COVID <laughs> as well. Um, so the bit that I guess one of the key topics we wanted to talk about today, specifically with your background as someone who has worked as a scout, um, is really talking about scouting, what goes into being um or, or appearing on a scout's radar and you 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 made an or you you made a statement off air that I, I wrote down because i thought oh, that's pretty cool i haven't heard that one before but tools that scale and with this this event being a 
sort of more of a showcase than a real, hey, we're going to build a squad, prepare them and take them away to compete. Like it's probably a great time to chat with you about um, the scouting side of things to give young players and their parents a better understanding of, you know, my kid drops bombs and hits 500 at 14. Why are they, you know, why are they not being scouted or why are they not being offered a pro deal? And we're just trying to educate people about what makes a, a kid a pro prospect. So, um, where to start? Um, I, I guess we'll just cover off a couple of basic things. Like how many, how many scouts are there in Australia at any given time typically? Yeah, there's uh, probably less now, obviously, with COVID. There's been a lot of restrictions with budgets and things like that. And uh, also now with the amount of data that's being available to organisations and outside companies providing data, um, there's probably not as much requirement for scouts to get around and see everyone. They can do it um, kind of through technology now. But I know in Australia we've got probably four or five international full-time scouts that do the oceanic region. So they'll do cover all of Australia. They'll go up to Taiwan, Japan, Korea, um, and cover all those tournaments and high school events and things like that. And then normally, typically, each state has a, has a couple or two or three kind of um, sub-level scouts that just monitor their own states. They'll go to um, national championships, give uh, feedback and data to international scouts as well. The You've been involved in the game, don't want to, don't want to give away your age, but for a good <laughs> period of time. Has the volume of kids signing out of Australia dropped? Um, it goes through probably through waves, I would suggest. Um, potentially overall, yes. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with just um, the quality and also the draft system changing. Um, you know, with COVID the, the, and the decrease in the rounds in the draft, it's, it's pushing the level up. Um, plus it's really tough for our guys to get in the system and stay in the system. Mm. I think that's been a bit of a, um, a factor as well, um, for our athletes and, and probably teams being a little bit more hesitant on signing a lot of guys now, mm. just because, um, the pressure to succeed and a lot of our kids sign when they're say 17, go over there, they, they don't have the maturity in their bodies yet. Um, and it's a cutthroat industry, you know. Mm. If, if you don't get signed for a lot of money, you don't get a lot of, um, you don't get more leverage, I suppose. You, you know, if you don't perform and and stay on the field, then you're cut pretty quick. But it's also, we're a culture where this is. I got kids, you got kids. They're probably going to live with us till they're twenty five or twenty six. Like that's kind of. And if really? they move out, they move back. But in the, like in the US, kids they finish high school and they move out. They go to college and and whatnot. But so a lot of our kids go away and they may have tools, but they don't know how to eat and look after themselves and manage a schedule and those types of things. And as you said, if you go over there and you're not a, you know, highly rated prospect, you get one chance. And, and I think that's, you know, a lot of our players are starting behind the eight ball, which is kind of what we really want to try and convey through some of the work we're doing with you and other partners is, it's not just about the tools, it's about the mental makeup and the preparation and, and the understanding of what's required that may hold them in better stead, stead to succeed. Yeah, 100%. It's, um, it's a holistic view. That it's, it's not just one thing. Um, you've got to sleep right. That's why the strength and conditioning you know, aspect of things, we're really pushing the envelope now and we have a huge focus. It's probably the last 24 months with our partnership with Diamond Fitness. It's a real priority and the guys are sick of, sick of me telling my HP kids, 
you must go to the gym. This is a priority. You've got to lift three times a week minimum. Um, and it's an all year. It's not just, you know, a period of the year. These guys got to learn to lift all year to maintain and, and get strength and, and goals and um, to stay healthy and strong on the track because they're competing against guys that go to four-year schools for, you know, or two junior college or four-year school for two or three years and uh, 21 by the time they start their mm. pro careers. So... They, you know, it's it's a massive investment. Well, we had the opportunity to speak to uh, an Aussie college player, Liam Spence, who got drafted in the fifth round. And it, as a 22-year-old, he's hitting against guys who are throwing 100 miles an hour in college. And you just don't see that in Australia. So you know, just by being in that environment, he's already kind of better prepared to compete at a professional level. And that's the bit that, as he said, like I just – I didn't have the tools to sign, but I went to college and it just exposed me to the game and, and an understanding of the game. And that was, um, yeah, it, it's, it's it's a hard. cool story. It is it's, a really cool it's story. It's a cool story. Uh, Robbie Glendinning's probably a similar one from, you know, Perth that really good tools, like good, nice player, but just didn't have outstanding tools to sign. But went to junior college, got bigger, stronger, played the game hard, you know, loved, loved the game and, and worked really hard. And then suddenly they make a big jump and, and then they go on to a four-year school where, like you said, they're playing against high-end mm. draft picks that are they're pumping 90 to 100 miles an hour. Now suddenly they're a bit um, in better position to be able to compete in professional baseball. Mm. So that's probably a nice little segue back into sort of the scouting side of things. So from a from a scout's perspective, what age would a player typically start to show up on a scout's radar? Yeah, look, sometimes from as young as... 12, 13, the high-end guys, you know. Um, for example, like an Oscar Hyde from Queensland, he went over to the Little League World Series a few years ago and kind of blew up the radar a little bit on you know, on TV and things like that. So some of the kids like that might get seen a little bit earlier and, and get a bit more recognition, but typically not till probably... We used to have the under-14 state championships. Um, so scouts would go to that and just probably took little ticks and follows on their on their cards of, of who they liked in movement and arms and, you know, follow them for the coming years. So now probably more so with the 16s and HP kids around that 14, 15, they'll start to recognise kids that they like. Um, and then, you know, looking towards that, you can't sign here to your 16 and a half. Mm-hmm. So um, before then, it's trying to get a profile on the kid to see what they can do and, and how they look to project. Now, we keep saying tools. What do you mean by that? So the, t- the tools we look for in baseball, um, can you run fast? Position players specifically, can you run fast? We're looking at sub-sevens for a 60 yards. Um, actually, interesting, I don't know if you saw the, the latest perfect game on uh, Didn't Twitter. did break the record on it? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. The guy should be in the Olympics you know, um, so you run it. Was it five, five nine? something. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions being asked on the legitimacy of that. I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. The guy flies, you know, but putting up some of those numbers is is uh, questionable and um, <laughs> a little bit outrageous. But yeah, I mean, six five to six six is is, is typically kids that fly. So um, you know, from a position player, outfielder, key infielder, we're looking at sub sevens, um, arm speed. How they throw the ball. Um, Pitchers, typically, can they throw, you know, you're looking at probably 90-plus for their fastball. Um, Position players, key shortstop, looking at probably 88 to 90 across the diamond is the higher end, but, you know, looking for 85-plus. And outfielders, you're looking at 90-plus from an outfield crow hop to to a base or home. Um, Catchers, typically a little bit lower. You're kind of 
high end of like low 80s for for big league catches so looking at their kind of pop time as well but there's some of the there's some of the tools raw power so does the does the hit have the ability to put the ball out of the ballpark and how often um and then kind of overall hit ability as well as mm. a tool kind of can they barrel the ball up you know can they make adjustments all that sort of thing so if i'm a parent sitting in the stand and my kid's hitting 500 and i'm shitty at you as a scout because why aren't you speaking to me? Like, what's your story to that parent? Yeah, it's tough. We get, uh, I get that all the time. Like, even with a HP pro, like, why is my kid in HP? He's hitting 500 in the charter tournament. Um, unfortunately, stats don't show everything. Um, and, you know, the, there's some things that go into it. Again, how do they hit? What are they? What pitching are they hitting? You know, I think we said that earlier. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of context here in Australia because we don't have a lot of higher... We'd have the volume of kids that perform at a higher end. So, you know, kid might hit 500 against one of the worst pitchers and get mm. all his hits, or they might be off the end of the bat. Doesn't doesn't show the whole uh, story. So we're looking at can the can the can the athlete hit the ball hard? You know, can they make adjustments? What are they swinging at? Um, what are their actions on the field? And that's what I guess a lot of parents don't understand what the action should look like from a fielder mm. um you know how do they receive how does their arm work does that project to a next level you know because some kids are just bigger and stronger at a younger age and and succeed because of that reason but their actions don't project to the next level yeah well i specialized in the jam shot <laughs> off my hands that just floated over the head of the first baseman and that may have led to sort of a 300 batting average if i was lucky and it wasn't until I was older that I realised, well, if I was hitting with a wooden bat, it would be splintered. And <laughs> that's that. So the um, the other bit that's you've used a couple of times is the word projectability. So the challenge is, yes, you're a 14-year-old kid who may have hit puberty pretty early, but does the power you display now project to when you're 17, 18, 19? And that's, the, that's a real grey area in scouting. You're almost trying to you're, – you're, you're guesstimating on – is this thing going to carry through? Oh, that's got to be the biggest challenge. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that, that is a tough one. The, you look at probably the parents, what the parents look like, what do their bodies look like? So that might give you an insight into potential growth. Um, like you said, how early have they matured? Have they got big, broad shoulders? Do they look like they're going to have the ability to put on a lot of weight and, and get bigger and stronger? Um, that's always the interesting bit when, you know, you hear people say, oh, you know, the scout was really interested. They want to talk to the parents. I'm like, they're sizing the parents up genetically yeah. <laughs> to try and get a sense as to whether or not the kid's going to get to that size and shape and those types yeah, of things. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, looking, you know, a lot of scouts look at the arm. Um, does the arm, is the arm clean? Is it repeatable? Does it work easy? Or is it kind of a max max mm. arm effort? It's giving everything. So those guys with nice clean arm actions um, that are going to get bigger and stronger potentially uh, are a lot more projectable. Because that's where you see kid might be 82 but the arm's loose which means bigger stronger mean it's going to come out easier that might be a velocity spike whereas the kid who's 85 but you can tell they're humble everything that, yeah. yeah cuts off potential injury risk all that sort of stuff so um that's where you kind of have to make those tougher um tougher looks i suppose and then i guess the <laughs> probably my favorite part to talk to baseball people about is the intangible stuff is like What's the kid like in a clubhouse? What's the kid going to be like when the going gets tough? What's the kid like from all, you know, we, we chatted to um, the owner of Diamond Fitness, Dean White, who, you know, we've known, he just had amazing tools 
and as he said, you get to America and everyone's got amazing tools and then yeah. it's what differentiates you is the amount of work you're able and prepared to put in on a day where you just don't really feel like it. And I think that's the bit that is really hard for people to understand when a scout is high on a kid, but the scout has got to know the kid or seen work rate and work ethic and those types of things. That's But that's the greyest part. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's where um, still seeing the athletes over time, especially if you're going to invest a lot of money into them, you've got to see them over a longer period of time and see what they're really like. Like you said, when they have tough days, do they just lose the plot? Um, can they compete? Can they can they deal with adversity? Those sort of things. Um, are they just gamers? Like Mikey Brosu from the Rays, he was an undrafted um, pickup from the Tampa Bay Rays and came out of the heat a few years later and, you know, Craig Albanese said, this guy's just a gamer. He just mm. hits, you know. Didn't have any tools that really ranked highly, but the guy just flat out raked and, and played the game the right way, um, and that allowed him to get the big leagues. So there's those little intangibles and those sort of stories that guys can still, you know, compete and, and make their way up the ranks because they know how to play the game. They trust themselves. They back themselves. Um, and, you know, they handle failure really well, and that's, well, that's one of the biggest things, yeah. right? So... Handing failure, this is a tough game. You know, we speak to our kids about it with the HP program. If if you can't help handle can't handle the failure in this game, you're not going to go very far because it's it's a complex skill. It's a really tough game, and and you've got to be able to deal with that. The interesting, um, we were both fortunate to play college baseball, but the interesting thing about Australia is, in in many instances, baseball's played like footy like let's get up let's go and you just can't and that was the eye-opening thing when i got to america is someone had a, just a shit day and they'd act like nothing had happened and then you get around really good baseball players who have this level of oh you probably describe it as sort of this you could describe it as arrogance but it's often just this unfailing belief in themselves because you have to you have to believe tomorrow i'm getting them and and that's you know used to i've been around some really good players who just get blown away by the you know, at the plate, and they'd walk to the dugout, and you're like, what's it got? Not, nothing. You're like, he just ate you alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just walk the dog on a nasty yeah. slider. And like someone, <laughs> someone like me with a bit of common sense is like, you shit me? That guy's going to kill me. But they're just either sort of naive or just so confident, and they're the ones that succeed. And that's that's a really hard thing to measure in a kid, particularly in Australia. You play once a week. Yeah. And you got seven days to stew on oh, it, you know. It's the worst, wasn't it? Yeah. I used to hate it. It's just you have a bad day and you've got to wait six more days to uh, get back it. out there. Yeah, you know, you replay it a hundred times in your head and, yeah, it's tough work. Liam Hendricks was a bit like that, like that, um, just that confidence, mm. you know, just would get back up there, not not phase him and, you know, it's ways. He's an all-star now, but he had that. Mm. He had that arrogance about him that – that ability to go, you know, I back myself, and I'm going to get this guy out. Well, particularly closing role, you oh. just get shelled one day. You got to come back the next, yeah, and if tough. you can't put it in the back of your mind, then you're in trouble. Um, so, just sort of looking at the current crop of players, uh, kind of got two questions. What kind of volume of prospective pro guys are there at the moment? Yeah, probably real real prospects. You're probably looking at. Anywhere from two to five in each state, I would yep. say, that are on the radars with scouts at the moment. Um, I've probably got three or four in my program at the moment that are kind of prospect type. You know, guys will guys will take a really good look at them. Um, and it's pretty similar. Sydney might have a few more with their volume of players. Queensland have got some really good arms at the moment. Um, and Victoria always have, you know, three or four that are kind of on the radar. Now, 
none of them might sign or three or four of them might sign. Who knows? Mm. Um, that's where hopefully this camp goes ahead. You know, these kids have, have missed a lot of baseball the last 12 months. So we're really trying to prep these under-18 kids to, to go away to this next camp and be in the best shape they can be to prepare for that camp and hopefully get an opportunity. But there's been a few kids sign out this year. So... You know, as long as you're getting one or two in each state of really high-end guys each year, you, you keep the keep it ticking over. So this is my old man get off my lawn moment, but it's it's more. And I'm just I'm really interested with the amount of data that's available and the coaching that's available now, and the and the, the, the coaching expertise. Are kids? Are you seeing better prospects or kids who are better equipped to be prospects now, or is it not? It's never changed. Well, well like that's the bit I'm interested. In. I was, I was in a gym where there were some kids working out, and and one of the kids was just like, "This kid just gets it. He's 17. He, he just does all the drills." Is he a unicorn? Is that just a kid who is different, or is it? Are they better equipped now? Um, and I'm not even suggesting we were better quit back in our day yeah I think we were. and i you know you have these arguments with people like oh back in the day this and that i mean i think we know so much more now right um with the information the data out there even as coaches like i can help explain stuff better because you know the science it's being tested properly you're not guessing as much mm. anymore you know like it's like our programming with tyler like it's it's programmed, it's prescribed because it's all been tested mm. and, and it works. So in that reality, um, the guys, I think we'll see, personally, I think in the next few years, I think we'll see a change. I don't think it's at that point yet where guys are better equipped, but I think moving forward, we've come to a point where I think um, we are a lot better with our programming um, and readiness that I think in coming years, I think we're going to be in a better position to be more successful. Mm. Um, I don't think we're there yet. Um, you know, I've got a couple of kids in my program at the moment, like Cookie, who's just, his baseball IQ, his awareness of what he's doing and his application is, is outstanding. Um, but he is probably more of a one-off. Yeah. There's, not, there's not 10 of those in every state and every program. You know, they're the higher end. So the other bit that was always interesting was just grappling with the um, like parental expectations as well. And like particularly in Australia and, you know, oh, we don't want to put our kid in the gym because we want to stunt their growth. Are you seeing a parent's sort of better understanding what kids can and can't do? Is that a shift or what's going on there? Uh, I think that's a little up and down still. Um, I think that's something we need to work on moving forward um, with our pathway programming and just putting it out there, what are the pathways and what's the expectation of that pathway. Um, I, still, I still feel like the charter baseball's probably missed the point a little bit in what it was designed for. Um, it's to win national tournaments, get the Little League World Series. That's right. right. Unfortunately, there's a there's a little carrot that's dangled on the end, which changes the whole mm. um, proportion of what guys do at that level. Um, you know, I, I had this conversation with someone before. I'd, I'd prefer to see a kid um, that's working on their tools to spend five grand on a health on a strength conditioning program and a speed program for a year or two to help be better equipped to go on a on a national team or a perfect game tour or a, or a trip overseas where they're in a situation where they can compete now and actually be looked at seriously rather than you know going to every going to charter tournaments every year and going on every trip to America and you know camps and clinics and all that sort of stuff I think you've got to be careful in how much you do and whether it's in the best interest of the athlete mm. um, well I think that was one of the one of the things we wanted to help showcase was a better understanding. If you're going to go and drop 
$7,000 to go to the US and go to all these big league games and then do, you know, we'll put you in front of scouts and pro. Yeah. If you don't have a tool, you're just wasting your money. Like you have a great holiday. Like if that's why you're going because you want to go on a holiday, that's different. But if you're doing that as an exploration or, um, you know, this is how I'm going to be seen, you need to better understand. We need to do a better job of informing you that, yes, you've got a tool. This is what you need to showcase. But, yeah, if you just run out there and you don't have a single scoutable tool, you just put that money down the toilet. And um, look, there's some there's some good programs out there that do a really good job, and there's some that probably you know unfortunately it becomes a dollar value, and they want as many kids as they can to to take kids on board and take away, and um, you know we're always going to fight that. You know, look at the US with their with their um what do you call their their summer ball and their tournaments and stuff like that. Just oh, we just the podcast we just did with Peter Moylan. Yeah, he was he was just. I was asking him, what's the difference between Australian junior development and the US junior development? He said, there's kids on travel teams from travel seven teams. or eight. Yeah, that's And they're playing eight or nine games in a weekend. And that's, he said, physically, yes, there's more kids playing baseball. But like just understanding the game side of things, you play so much that you are able to understand the game better. Um, we're just never going to be there. That's the that's no, one of our problems. And that's the thing. And that's where we've got to monitor the load of the kids as far as... It was always in a in Australia. It was always we don't play enough games. We don't play enough games. Well, over the course of the year, these guys are playing enough games now. I believe. Um, unfortunately, they don't play the level of comp- competitive games. So guys are beaten up on each other, or you know, they just don't get that consistent competition where the states do. But we also have to, you know, that's where the HP coaches have spoken about. Um, we need to have time of the year where kids have time off where they can get more in the gym. Give their bodies a rest of being or pitching. Say you can't build your arm and your, um, you know, of what your your tool on the on the mound if you don't give yourself time to rest and actually build arm strength. So that's been a massive change in our priority this year with our program is you know having a month off from from throwing and then you know we've got a six week return to throw program. We've got a six week velocity building program and now next week our program's going in a six week blend to mound program to get them ready for the season. So if they were going to charter tournaments and heading off here and there they've got to continue to get up and down ready mm. for those tournaments so they don't spend any time actually developing their tools. Well, that was one of the points that Tyler Anderson made in his conversation was, you know, I said to him, why, why is velocity up and why why is this all happening? He said, players took a year off to train. Yeah. So to, to your point, they weren't pitching on a, you know, they'd still be throwing, but okay, well, I've got time to be in a gym and just get bigger and stronger and faster and um, – we just don't often give young people a chance to do the training element. It's just throw, 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 and, you know, it, it didn't make sense. And the bit that we – one of the things that we're trying to build out is, like, what are, what are national throwing programs where you're not ramping kid, ramping them down? Because that's yeah. not going to be optimal performance. And there's, there's a difference between understanding where you're at as an athlete as far as needing to be seen for some event, et cetera, or, like we said – you need to build your arm up and then have some period of time where you develop that arm and and long toss and get some volume into it even with the heat guys this year you know i I spoke to all our heat arms that are locally i'm like take your time off but then i want them to start throwing earlier this year but not that high intent but just getting some volume in their arm where 
they get to a situation where they want to throw more rather than throwing and ramping up and then they're like hanging, mm. you know, and then they come into the season with a bit of dead arm or not really peaking. We want them throwing more often with volume but not at the high intensity and building up to it and getting on the mound a little earlier where they're feeling better and want to be out there. Mm. I think um, that's the bit that's been opening to me sort of coming – back into the fold like obviously there's massive advances in understanding and technology but it's really trying to provide some of the science to young players that there's the method to the madness here and um you know we it was probably 10 years ago where it was don't throw so much at all and yeah everyone, like you just shut your arm down yeah. and then it was like then drive. ice after the game yeah. and then like it's like just, yeah you know and 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 then it was like now the science and Australia's the worst at this. But you go to any baseball game and you, not so much the kids, but you watch a men's baseball game. A warm up is you run one pole and <laughs> sit around the circle, yeah, stretch, tell some stories, <laughs> and we just don't set ourselves up to succeed. No. And, and then we our senior players kill the junior players for trying to take it seriously yeah. and just trying to sort of embed that a new way of thinking into you know grassroots baseball is. I think where we can help make a bit of a difference and educate coaches that it's really important to do the the pre-work and then the recovery work. It's not just the game day stuff. That's where there's big changes happening that um, we need to bring people up to speed with. Yeah, it's a, it's a different world, isn't it? The post the post throw and stuff's changed dramatically, and the running, even the running and stuff like that. You know, I know drive lot of big on just the running poles as pitches and stuff like that. Some guys still like to do it as part of their routine and stuff like that, but a lot of the science behind the running and the weights programming and all that sort of sort of information has is, is changed a lot. Um, you know, one thing we're looking at moving forward is um, like Queensland with Shane Watson's program, they've got these motor sleeves, um, the pulse program now. So it actually monitors the stress on the arm with every throw and, and tracks the arm, right? So you can really start to get specific with each player's load management of when they're peaking, when they may be tired and fatiguing and things like that. So... That sort of stuff's awesome. Like that's pretty cool. That's getting to the next level of. Well, it's funny. You're funny you say that because you don't. You know, not even that long ago, you wouldn't. You don't pitch count how many kids pitches a kid throw in the bullpen. No. So yeah, game day you might have ninety pitches. Kid just rattled off forty five in the bullpen, and um, you know, and it was interesting. I can't. I think it was an AFL team that was tracking. Um, Kicks, volume of kicks, just yep. you, just workload management, and you know you've had a pretty busy week. Take today off, and just tracking that kind of stuff is that's the science that yeah. has been lacking. That's what's fascinating now. I know, speaking the Rays pitcher coach a couple of years ago, he said they pretty much just had someone walking around counting every throw the pitchers made during spring training mm. and stuff like that. So just having a better knowledge and understanding of of the volume that's occurring, because like you said, we just kind of guess, and we just we've always gone off. The game pitches, but never the build-up, the ballpens, the pickoffs, maybe for practice, or you know, especially in juniors, some of these kids are two-way guys that throw a hundred balls at practice as a shortstop, and then jump on the mound, throw you know eighty pitches in the game, and then they get pulled out of the game and go back to shortstop mm -hmm. or right field, yeah. and you know that, that stuff's just yeah, you're just setting yourself up for for damage. So we, I've got two more kind of things I want to cover really quickly because we've been going for a little while now. So what? What are the what are the most common questions you get from parents about professional baseball? 
Um, just more with the conversations around the higher end guys, probably. It's just, I think there's just a lack of knowledge of what professional baseball looks like and the actual investment it is. Um, probably, you know, the, the money side of things, who looks after what, you know, signing, what does that look like compared to what do you have to pay for when you're over there? Where do you live? Um, you know, what happens when you're not playing baseball? So some of those sort of things, I think, um, is the biggest kind of, um, yeah, lack of knowledge. Or, or There's no awareness. real handbook for it anyway. That's the other thing. Um, no. Has it been a player in recent times where there's been a bidding war for their services? We haven't heard, I haven't heard of one where kids had multiple options. Is, is that happening less or? Um, you know, it's... Uh, International market with um, teams pool of money changes so dramatically at the moment. Um, some teams have a lot of money that they kind of need to get rid of potentially, or some teams just blow out on high end guys that they've signed. They've got no money left. So that's the other thing. Like there could be five or five or six clubs that are really interested in you, Stuart. Like love you, we can like we got, but I've only got a hundred grand. Yeah, right. That's all we've got left. Yep. You know, where you might have two or three clubs that have a bunch of money left over and they really like you. They're like, stuff, we're not going to get rid of this money. Well, then you go into that bidding war and that's where guys get, yeah, right. that's where the guys get the bigger money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and sometimes that's just potluck, you know. Um, some guys are, are inflated with what they sign for in Australia mm -hmm. um, and other guys, you know, maybe not, don't get, much as they should, it, mm. sometimes it's a hit and miss with, with what teams have in, in store. All right. Well, I always like to throw a curveball at our guests, uh, particularly people from the coaching side of things. What's an area of the game that's that's a that's going to grow, that's going to have increased focus on it, that perhaps isn't quite there yet? Um. Jeez, oh everything's growing so quickly. <laughs> uh, I think the data will hit probably a kind of plateau I think um, there's so much data out there and awareness of batter ball shifting you know spin rates all that sort of stuff I think that'll pl plateau somewhat and then it's about understanding that information and then how to how to use it more efficiently I think the um, player care I think probably more the whole holistic side of things I think will continue to grow as far as Tracking athletes' sleeping patterns, their nutrition, their you know their pre-post um, game stuff. I think that is still something that a lot of organisations and clubs are starting to spend more money on. But I still I think that I think that'll continue to grow and develop moving forward. Um, I think the technology will plateau somewhat. Um, um, you know, I think the hitting's come to a and the hitting and pitching have come to somewhat of a. A spot where, geez, how much further can you go? How mm. much harder can you throw? You know what I mean? Like that, that's going to change somewhat. Um, and then it'll, you know, it'll go in cycles again. Somewhat it'll come back to guys' ability to move the ball again because every like hitters now are starting to adapt to a a ninety eight mile an hour fastball at the top of zone because they have to, otherwise they can't. Yep. They can't compete. So that sort of thing will come and go in cycles, mm. but. I think the um, I think just the player care and and preparing the athletes um, I think will continue to develop. All right, well, really appreciate your time. I would like if this camp happens to catch up with you during the camp. I think having some insights from what's going on there would be pretty interesting to a lot of 
you know, people like me sitting on the sidelines, how does one of these camps work and what's going on and, um, yeah, what does the squad look like? So Yeah, you- absolutely. And it's just the daily kind of what goes through, the preparation, um, you know, what the kids are doing pre-games, post-games. You know, the coaches' meetings are always exciting at the end of the day. A lot of people don't realise kind of the conversations and the to and fro on that we have as a staff at the end of the day, looking at players, how we prepared, what went well, what didn't, and then... Um, you know, we have our whiteboard up and chop and change and mm. guys are in, guys are out, guys are in the middle. Um, that's It's pretty interesting, that side of things too. Yeah, if we can get the curtain lifted on that, <laughs> we'd really appreciate it. Well, good luck with the upcoming Perth Heat season. Most of that luck is that it'll actually happen and um, we'll check in with Fingers you again. Fingers crossed. Thanks, mate. Thanks appreciate it. Us.